when Collins was first diagnosed, we were kind of at a crossroads because I think when you're going through major crisis, I think it, it, it's difficult to really trust in God. I think that it's easy to have faith when everything is going well, but you know, I think it's natural to question God and like, why is this happening? And why is this happening to Collins? You go through all the range of emotions, uh, crying out to God, uh, anger, rage, tears. Uh, you just go through all of it. And eventually you just have to let go and just trust that God is sovereign and that God has you in his hands. You either run towards God or you run away. And looking back, I definitely see how it's easy to run away from God because you're just broken and angry and confused. And fortunately for us, through Collins mostly, we definitely leaned on God. Collins has such a faith and such joy about her that she actually made this process easier on us. As a man, as a father, as a husband, you want to control everything. You want to fix everything, and and you can't do that. You have to just give it all to Jesus and just humble yourself to Him and, and pray that He is in control and He can fix it for you because uh, there's just some things that a man can't fix. So I just let it all go to God and just trusted in His, in His Word and in His uh, love and in His grace. It is his universe and it is his will and and he will come through you just have to let go and trust in god everybody how you doing glad to be inside and not outside amen amen hey why don't you get your bible and uh, open it up uh, to the book of jonah all right if you didn't bring a bible there's one in the seat rack in front of you uh, we're we're studying uh, the book of jonah if you've been here a couple weeks you know we've been kind of walking through this story and uh, if you have not been here a couple weeks then i'll take a few uh, seconds to just kind of catch you up uh, Jonah was a prophet of God in Israel, and God told Jonah to do something very specific. He had an assignment for Jonah. He said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, which was to the east. I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach there about me. And Jonah did not want to do that, and so Jonah went down to Joppa, the port, port city, and he got on a merchant ship, and he headed west, as far west, the opposite direction that he could possibly, possibly go. All right. In fact, you can summarize the story up to that point like this. God said, go. Jonah said, no. God said, oh. 
that's where we are in the story. And so uh, uh, as Jonah is headed on the boat, going away from the Lord, God sends a storm, a great storm. We, we said already before, when you're running from God, you're running from God's best. And so God intervened uh, to, uh, to keep Jonah from continuing to run away from him and to turn him back. This storm was not payback. It was to turn him back. And so God intervened through a storm and intervened through people on this boat to try to turn him back. But Jonah continued to harden his heart and uh, cross his arms and stiffen his neck and would not bend. And finally they said, Jonah, what are we going to do? What, what are we going to do to stop the storm? We're going to lose everything. And Jonah said, uh, just throw me overboard and the storm will stop. And so remember like when you were in high school or a kid and you were like at the pool and you grab somebody by all fours and go, and a one, and a two. They, they chunked uh, Jonah out into the ocean in the middle of the storm. And immediately when, when he plunged into the water, the storm came to a stop, a kind of an eerie silence. And Jonah was sinking down, down, down. And that's where we left him last week, all right? So we're going to pick up there uh, in uh, Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, the last verse of the first chapter, all right? And this is what we read. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, this is the part of the story that we all know and love, right? We all love the part of Jonah and the whale, Jonah and the big fish. We've heard it all our life. I mean, if you grew up in church, you, you saw this story, you heard this story many, many times. You might have seen it on flannel graph, all right, with the little fish that comes and swallows up Jonah. Or you maybe seen it on a version of Veggie Tales, right? Or some, some version thereof to hear the story about Jonah and the whale. We all love the story of Jonah and uh, the whale. Um, in fact, it's kind of like reverse sushi, right? Instead of man eating fish, feasts each man, right? So, so he loved this story. But the question is, did this really happen? I mean, come on, did it, do you really believe, Craig, that this story actually happened? I mean, come on, this never happens, really. You're not one of those guys that really believes that. And so uh, before you draw your own conclusion, let me give you a couple of facts that you may uh, not know. Some things we've already talked about. Uh, up to this point. Here's some facts we know. Well, number one, Jonah was a, a real person. Uh, he was an historical figure. He appears in multiple places in the Bible, not just in the book of Jonah, but in other books of the Bible. And so Jonah was an historical figure. Secondly, Nineveh was an historical place. Uh, it's quite clear through archaeology that the evidence to support the ancient city of Nineveh, exactly right where God's Word said it was, right on the Tigris River in Mosul, Iraq. We know that now that um, uh, by, by the evidence that is, that is uh, more than we can um, shake a stick at. So we, we know that that is the case, all right? We also know that there's some linkage between Jonah and Nineveh. I mentioned once before, there is an ancient shrine, a burial shrine to Jonah that's in uh, Mosul, Iraq that was destroyed by ISIS, and they dug down in there, and they found other artifacts that date back to the time of the ancient Ninevites. So that's fascinating recent new discovery that links these two together. Uh, also, the, the mound of dirt under which ancient Nineveh uh, existed before it was excavated. That's called a tell. It was actually titled Nabi Yonis, which means the prophet Jonah. All right, so there, there are many evidences to link together outside of the Bible uh, the, the story of Jonah and Nineveh. 
But the question is, what about the fish? All right, did the fish thing really happen or did the fish thing not really happen? So, so let me just tell you, Bible-believing Christians uh, that believe the Bible is true and that these are historical accounts say, yes, we believe that this actually happened. And most Bible-believing Christians will, will settle on one of three views to explain how it happened. All right. The first view is what we call the natural view. There's some people that say, I just believe that God had a great whale, and we know that sperm whales swallow squids whole, and we've seen that happen, and, and that God just in, in the natural order of things allowed that fish to come and swallow him up and, and preserved him. And, and it was just a natural thing. It obviously doesn't happen very often. It's obviously a very unique thing, but nevertheless, it happened in the natural order of things. All right, and there's some that, that hold to that view. Others hold to what I call the a supernatural view. And that is that, uh, yeah, God called a, a huge fish or whale or whatever that thing was to swallow up uh, Jonah, and it was a miracle. All right, just like the miracle of parting of the Red Sea or like the miracle of God creating the heavens and the earth or the miracle of Jesus rising from the dead. All these things are beyond the natural order. They are supernatural. And this was a supernatural work of God where God intervened in a way that he doesn't ever do. That's why you don't see, oh, sailor just got swallowed by a whale and existed for three days. You don't see that because it's supernatural. It's beyond the natural order. And this was a miracle of God, all right? Then there's a third view, and this is not necessarily a very popular view, but it is out there, and you'll read about it, is what I call the resurrection view. And that is that some people believe that God brought a, a big fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah existed for a little bit of time, but then Jonah died. He died in the belly of the whale, and then when he was vomited up, which we'll get to in a little bit, uh, when he was puked up, when he was hurled, when he was chunked, am I getting the point across? Uh, that, uh, that he came to life, just like Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, or that Christ came to life, that, that it was, he was resurrected and went on to do his work. So I don't really care which view you hold. That's good discussion for lunch today. Which view do we hold and why? All right. But there's, a, there's more evidence to me that this was actual historical event other than what I've just mentioned. And that is that Jesus believed this was an actual event. In, in the book of Matthew, Jesus refers to Jonah. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 39, he said, quote, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So with those words, Jesus not only uh, underscored and validated the existence of Jonah and the existence of Nineveh and the reality of the revival that happened in Nineveh, but also the fact that Jonah was swallowed by a whale and was preserved by God. In fact, not only did he reinstate that, but he links the, the, the swallowing of Jonah in the whale to his own miraculous resurrection from the tomb, which, which is incredibly important. So I just go like this. If Jesus said it happened, then I'm going with Jesus, all right? I'm going with Jesus. I'm believing what Jesus said. And so the real issue is not... Uh, necessarily what happened with the fish. You know, we, we always think of Jonah and the whale as if that's the main point of the story. That is not the main point of the story. The, the fish only appears in three verses out of the whole book, right? Three verses. 
So uh, the point of the story is not what happened inside the fish. The point is what happened inside Jonah. And that God was bringing Jonah in this circumstance to hit rock bottom. God was going to turn Jonah around. And he was going to do it by causing him to hit rock bottom. So let's read what happens. Chapter 2 is a prayer of Jonah as he's hitting rock bottom. Chapter 2, verse 1, this is the word of God. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I bent down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will repay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah was hitting rock bottom. Yeah, I'm not really sure why it is that uh, people usually have to hit rock bottom to turn around. You ever hear people say that, or maybe counselors will say, well, they just haven't hit rock bottom yet. They got to hit rock bottom before they will ever turn around. I wonder why that is. I, I think sometimes it's because only when we hit rock bottom are we really broken. Only when we hit rock bottom do we realize that there's no place to run, there's no place to hide, there's no one to blame, that we're, we're sitting in the circumstances of our own making, and there's nowhere to turn. And God gets our attention uh, when we hit a rock bottom. And you know, I love, uh, I love what uh, it says in verse 1. It says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord from the belly of the fish. When I read that, I thought, I bet he did. <laughs> I bet you would too, right? Man, if, all that, if that happened, man, you're going to cry out to God. And here's the main thing I want you to understand. You may be headed toward rock bottom right now. You may be saying, man, the direction of my life is not good. And I know it's not good. And you're stiff arming God and you're running from God and you're doing your own thing. And this is not going to end well for you. Some of you go, man, when I, well, when I get older, then I'll finally get right with God. You know, when I settle down, I'll get right with God. Some of you say, when I get married, I'll get right with God. Man, I'm, I'm young and free. I want to do what, I'm, I'm 20 fun, man. I want to do whatever I want to do. I'm, later, I'll get right with God. Some of you are just thinking not that long term. Some of you are just thinking, man, on the other side of spring break, I'll get right with God. But I got some plans for spring break, all right? And I don't really want to change those plans. So maybe after spring break, I'll ask God to forgive me and I'll get right with God, all right? But here's the deal. Some of you are headed down a road that's leading you down a difficult path and you're headed toward rock bottom. And when you hit rock bottom, it's going to be painful and it's going to be hard and you're going to feel alone. But when you hit it, I want you to remember this statement. Here it is. When you hit rock bottom, 
God's grace is rock solid. When you hit rock bottom, God's grace, God's kindness, God's goodness does not change. It does not waver. God's grace is rock solid. And that's exactly what Jonah learned. When he hit rock bottom, that he found and he experienced God's grace like he had never, ever experienced it before. So let me show you some things that happen when you hit rock bottom. Some people might say, well, I'm not really sure if I've hit rock bottom yet. Or they may be talking about a friend. I don't know if he's hit rock bottom yet or she's hit rock bottom yet. You will know when you've hit rock bottom when these three things happen. All right. Here are three things that happen when you hit rock bottom. The first thing that happens when you hit rock bottom is you realize your need for God. When you, when you hit rock bottom, you realize your need for God. That's what happened with Jonah. When he finally got to this place, he began to realize his need for God. Look at verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2. He said, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. There's something about hitting distress, hitting the crisis, hitting the problem that causes us to cry out to God. I mean, when, when trouble really comes knocking on your door, all your excuses uh, and all your theological discussions and all of your vain thinking that you're in control goes out the window and you begin to cry out to God. That's why people, you'll hear them when, when a crisis comes, they'll say, oh God, oh Jesus, why are they saying that? Almost instinctively because they know that when they hit crisis, that only God can help them. That when you, cry, when you hit that crisis, that you can cry out to God. And by the way, you cry out to God anywhere, right? You can cry out to God anytime. You don't have to hit rock bottom to cry out to God. But you can cry out to God anytime. Daniel was in the lion's den and he cried out to God. Moses was facing the Red Sea on one side and, and the Pharaoh's army barreling down on him and he cried out to God. David cried out to God in the field watching his sheep. Peter cried out to God as he was sinking down in the waters. Listen, you can cry out to God at any time. And here's Jonah, and he's crying out to God in the belly of the fish. And, and here's the beautiful thing, and here's the wonderful thing I love so much about God. When you cry out to God, he will hear you. Isn't that amazing? God never says, you know what, I'm kind of tired of this. I'm kind of tired of putting up with you. You know, you've done this many times before. I know what your deal is. I'm not going to listen to you anymore. No, that he will hear you. When you, listen, God hears the desperate prayers of desperate people who are in desperate circumstances by their own making. God hears them. And that may be you right now. You go, man, I'm, I'm, in, a, I'm in a desperate situation of my own choices that God will hear you when you cry out to him. Jonah was crying out to God. And as he cried out to God, he began to realize some things. One of the things he began to realize is that he needed God and that God had allowed all this trouble in his life to, to get his attention. If I look at verse 3, he says, You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. You see that? He's saying, God, this was your doing. You allowed this to happen. You brought me to this place. You brought me to this crisis. You brought me to the place where I don't know what to do. And you've allowed me to see the direction of my own life. When the pregnancy test is, is positive and you don't know how you're going to tell your parents. When you're getting the back of a police car for, the, for your third DWI. You know, when you're 
packing up your box at the office and walking out, you don't know how you're going to get another job. When you're sitting in an apartment that's furnished by lawn furniture because you've separated from your family and you've got nowhere to go. In those moments, when God is getting your attention, you realize, God, I am here because of what I've done. Realize that all these circumstances, all this trouble around me isn't somebody else's fault. In fact, one of the things that's interesting is that Jonah never once blamed God in the belly of the fish. He never said, God, you did this. this you're so unfair. He never once did that because he knew I'm here because of the choices that I've made. Listen, you know you hit rock bottom when you begin to realize your need for God, to realize how far you've gone, to realize that it's your own making and your own doing, and you stop pointing the finger at everybody else and how everybody else is to blame, and you start pointing the finger right here and say, you know what? This is me. I'm here because of the choices that I've made. Jonah began to realize his desperate need for God. Maybe, maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I don't even know why I'm at church. I have no idea. I never go to church. And all of a sudden I'm showing up and this guy's preaching about this dude called Jonah. But man, I, it, I'm talking about you. How far you've fallen. Listen, you know you're hitting rock bottom when you realize your need for God. Another thing that happens when you hit rock bottom is that you remember. You remember God's goodness. Look at, look at what uh, happened to Jonah. Look at verse 6. I love this. He said, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remember, there it is, I remember the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. This is a huge turning point. All right. As I've said before, Jonah's whole life was going down, right? I've I, I said it to you the last couple of weeks that when God told him to go to Nineveh, he went down to Joppa, that he went down into the ship, that he went down into the belly of the ship, then he went down into sleep, then he goes down into the ocean, and then he gets swallowed up by this, uh, this fish, and he goes down to the lowest part. His whole life is going down, down, down. That may be you, man. Everything just is falling apart. The wheels are coming off in your life, and you're going down, 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 down. And it was only till this verse that things began to change. Look at what he says. But, or yet, verse 6, yet you brought up my life. There's a, all of a sudden, now he's starting to turn. There's a, he's starting to go up. There, there's a turning point that happens. What happened? Why did he start to turn? Well, he started to turn because he remembered. He said, verse 7, I remember the Lord. I remember the Lord. You know, it, it, you will never have a turning point until you remember the Lord, okay? Uh, you never will. Uh, think about the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son, he runs from his father, he parties it up, he wastes his inheritance, he's living the good life until he runs out of money and then he ends up eating slop from the pigs. The prodigal son finally comes to a point where he goes, I remember what my daddy had back home and I remember how good I had it and maybe he'll have mercy on me and it's only then that he remembers that he turns around. And listen, only when you remember the goodness of God, remember that God is loving and God is merciful. I heard a preacher say one time that God would hear me. I, I was raised in a Christian church and my parents have been praying for me. I know I've had a believing wife that's been trying to tell me. And, and you're hearing this, all of a sudden you remember these things. 
And there's something inside of you that says it's time to turn to the Lord. He said, I remembered the Lord. What did he remember about the Lord? I, I think you get to verse 8, and, and this is, uh, listen, this is critical. Verse 8, I want you to underline it, I want you to star it. Verse 8 is, most scholars say, is the central message of the whole book. It is a central message of the book of Jonah. In fact, it's interesting, if you take this verse and go backwards up to the very first verse, there's 24 verses. If you take the verse after it and go to the end of the book, it's 24 verses. It literally is in the very middle of the book. Is this one, this is the pivotal moment. This is the central message of the book of Jonah. And listen to what he comes, he re remembers the goodness of God, and then he has this epiphany. He has this aha moment. He has this light bulb moment. This moment of clarity, and this is what he says. He said, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. I don't really like the way the English Standard Version puts it. The New Living Translation puts it this way. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Did you get that? You see, when we're running from God, usually we're running to something. We're saying, God, you know, I don't want to do that. I want to go do this. And so I run toward that thing, whether it's being popular or I run to this person. I want to have this relationship. I want to have that person in my life. And I'm willing to turn my back on God to have this thing. Listen, an idol is anything you will turn your back on God for. You understand that? And idols, anything you say, well, God, you know, you can, I'm not, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do this. I want that. I want this person. I want to accomplish this. I'm going to, I'm hell bent to do this thing. When you turn your back on God in order to pursue something else, that is an idol. And anything you pursue like that, that it becomes the most important thing that you're turning your back on God for, that thing becomes a worthless idol. And here's how you know, when you finally get it, it's not what you thought it was. When you finally have that person and you realize that, man, he's just like everybody else or she's just like everybody else or there are troubles there too or there's problems there too. Or if you finally accomplish that, a great achievement and you think, is that all there is to life? Man, just because I made a lot of money or I got that position or that CEO or I, I, I accomplished that thing, well, now what do I do with the rest of my life? And all of a sudden you realize that it is empty and worthless. And in a moment, you realize that, you know what, I've given my whole life to pursuing this thing, and I've turned my back on the only person that can really make me happy. The only source of joy and peace and hope and assurance in my life, I've turned my back on God to pursue something that was worthless. And that was Jonah's epiphany. I've been running from God, and I've wasted my life. I really believe that Jonah thought he was going to die when he prayed this prayer. He thought, man, I'm just, I'm done. And here I have, I've wasted my life chasing something that would never bring me happiness. Are you doing that? Are you wasting your life? So what if you got some championships under your belt? So what if you, you made it to that, you, you sat on that board? So what if you got your picture made with that famous person? So what if you won that election? So what if you, you do all these things? So what? I mean, honestly, is anybody going to remember you a couple of generations from now? No. Your own family won't remember you in three generations. 
I have no vain thought that people are even going to hear my sermon. You, don't, you won't even remember it this afternoon. I'll probably forget it by Tuesday, all right? So I have no, no sense of, well, this is so, no, no, you're just not that important. Welcome to First Colleyville. <laughs> are we telling the truth here? And so we chase our life after these things and we turn our back on the unfailing love of God, which is the only thing that will matter the moment after you're dead. The only thing that will matter the moment after you're dead is the love of God. And the only thing that can satisfy you in this life is the love of God. And Jonah said, I have wasted it. You see, you, when you hit rock bottom, you realize the depth that you've gone. You realize that you've caused all this. And you realize that you've wasted your time chasing things that are empty and futile. And that you've turned your back on God. But that is the turning point. That's the pivot point. One other thing that happens when you hit rock bottom I love this, is that you begin to renew your devotion to God. See, you hit rock bottom, you hit that point where you recognize that the only thing that matters is your relationship with Christ. The only thing that matters is your love for God. He's the only one that can give you the joy that you're looking for. And, and then now you begin to renew your devotion to God. And that's what happened with Jonah. Look at verse 9. He says, but... I love that. that. But that's again another transition. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will repay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is a different Jonah, all right? This is not the same Jonah that was running from God. God, I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I'm, not, you know, I'm not even going to pray. This is not the same Jonah. This is a new man. This is a new man. And all of a sudden, God put him in this, this submission hold in this fish. God put him in this point where he could not get out with his shoulders pinned against the canvas. And, and then he began to realize, God, you really are who you claim to be. And I really am a wreck. And God, all I know is I want to worship you. And so that place that he did not want to be became a sacred place, became a holy place. You know, that, that jail cell can become a holy place. That empty apartment can be a holy place. That, uh, that place of, of loneliness can be a holy, holy place. He turned it into a place of worship. He said, I will sacrifice to you. I mean, obviously he wasn't going to make sacrifices if he was pinned down. But he said, in my heart, God, I'm worshiping you now. In the belly of the fish, Jonah is worshiping God. Kind of reminds me of Paul when he was in, in the prison, right? And after he'd been beaten in a terrible spot, what did he do all night? He just worshiped God, just saying to God. Listen, when you're in a terrible place and God has got your attention and you're at rock bottom, you'll find yourself worshiping God in places people will scratch their head and go, why is he doing that? Why is she doing that? Because it becomes a place of worship. Not only was it a place of worship, it was a place of surrender. It was a place of surrender. He said, I made a vow and I'm going to repay it. God, your, uh, uh, uncle, right? I, you don't have to twist my arm anymore, God. I'm, I'm going to do what you told me to do. I, I promise God that I will now be a different man. I'll be a different person. It was a place of surrender to God. It was a place of God's grace. He said, salvation belongs to the Lord. You know, the name Jesus means salvation comes from God, from the Lord. The Lord saves. And when Jesus came, he came to to save rebels like you and like me, people that run from God and go our own ways and push God away. This is why Jesus came. It's why Jesus went to the cross. 
to turn us back to him. Ultimately, this place in the belly of of this fish became a place of new beginnings. Look at verse 10. Verse 10, it says, uh, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and he vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. It's kind of gross, isn't it? Seventh grade boys love that verse. Jonah repented, and he was regurgitated. All right? He believed, and he was barfed. All right? He was changed, and then he was chunked. Somebody stop me. All right? <laughs> But you get the point, right? That it was a new day. Listen, isn't it time that it's a new day in your life? When you just like to start over, when you just like to say, you know, I'm tired of the direction I'm going, all the chaos and the drama and the, and the hurt and the pain I've caused other people. And I just wish I could just make it all go away. You can't. In fact, the beautiful thing is when you come to rock bottom and you cry out to God and he hears you in your desperation and you remember the Lord and you cry out to him and you turn back to the Lord and he gives you a new heart. Interesting and beautiful thing is that God actually takes your rebellious years and he redeems them. He takes your story and he uses it as a story that honors the Lord and points people to Jesus. And he wants to do that in your life in your marriage, in your time. 